0: The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. And on the next Back to You, Steve. Former NFL player, former college player, Senator Napoleon Harris. Yes. And he's got a talent that is unbelievable, and at the drop of a hat, we'll we'll just save it. It's coming up. Yes. On the next Back to You. Back to You with Howard Sudbury. And Steve Baskerville. Back to you, an Opie
1: show, only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead, it just moved a better place. RadioMisfits.com.
0: The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie show, on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Welcome to part two of our special episode with author, journalist, and producer Matt Avery. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. We're on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, and uh, certainly glad to have you along. And Matt Avery is our special guest today. We've been having just a great conversation about uh, everything that Matt is up to as a uh, journalist, an author, and a multimedia producer. And uh, this is one of the things I think that we've all been looking forward to talking about is your work as an author. Uh, You had uh, recently published, uh, you have recently published a book uh, on Copo, uh, Camaros. I believe. And just so I know for myself, I think I know what it means, but I'm not positive. Talk about exactly what Copo stands for and what, what it is, and then talk about how you decided to write a book about it. So the first
1: thing already is that um, it's not just limited to Camaros, Okay. And, and I'm not, uh, and that's a common misconception, which is great because that means I'm saying there's a lot of need for clarity within the hobby. So, at the at the highest level, copo is a central office production order. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's, it's paperwork. Yeah, um, and it's funny because when I say that, uh, I said that with some friends of ours, my wife and I had some friends over for dinner, and they they said, "Oh, you you wrote a book on paperwork." Yeah, <laughs> I was like eh, kind of. <laughs> it's very special paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the short version is is that. Um, Chevrolet had this paperwork, and from the research that I've done with the General Motors, um, uh, with their Heritage Center and some of the archivists there, the first signs of the paperwork start to show up right after World War II. Hmm. Um, And basically, it was a form for some kind of what we would call a special order today. So obviously, back during that time in the uh, early 50s and, and even into the late 50s, people weren't necessarily ordering the special order cars like they were today, but what it would be applied for is anything that deviated from from Chevrolet's RPO ordering structure. So the RPO ordering structure is that when you would look at a window stick of a car, it would tell you the grouping of options that the engineers deemed best and what they're going to market. So yeah. if you were gonna make any changes to that, you typically had to pull the salesman inside and say, hey, I want something different. And they say, okay, we can typically accommodate that, but we have to use this Copo paperwork. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I would, but more, all through the the 50s, it wasn't for high-performance stuff. It was typically for taxis. Um, It was for heavy-duty trucks. It was for more of an industrial commercial purpose. It wasn't for guys hopping up Tri-5 Chevys or... um, Like for fleets
0: and things like that. Yeah, Yeah.
1: fleets. I mean, some of the data that I found indicate that the uh, forest uh, police or kind of preserves are uh, throughout like Oregon and Washington State. They would order, you know, the government agency would order some of the vehicles um, for different applications. One of the ones that I remember seeing the paperwork for it was for a uh like a 56 57 chevy delivery van but something without like with no back seat or something mm. like that you know you can think of like really nuanced application you know the guy says hey we you know we carry mulch on this you know they go down the chevy dealership hey can you you know delete the back seat? Sure. Or whatever the yeah. case was um so then the question becomes well how did that transition happen for it to be you know why why start doing performance and it's really an interesting conversation because a lot of people are unaware That as the 1960s dawned, Chevrolet was in a very strange position and that they uh, were commanding such a large percentage of the market share that they had attracted government attention that were threatening to investigate with even greater threats of stepping in and breaking them up, deeming them a monopoly. Wow! Um, And so it's interesting because and then all through that time, you have a general uneasiness with car culture because of uh, racing being very unsafe. You have some very um, catastrophic incidents you know with with uh, spectator and driver deaths, so the whole time you have this weird turmoil, uh, turmoil of you know uneasiness, and so the government starts to kind of think you know hey, maybe we should step in Chevrolet doesn't want that naturally, so they take some initiatives to, to kind of cool their jets, show good faith to the government say hey we're you know we're upstanding we're respectable, you know hey you know we're you know so some of the ones that a lot of the enthusiasts know is that um, they issued a internal edict on not putting a engine bigger than 400 cubic inch and in their pony car which would be the Camaro okay. and their uh, intermediate size yeah. which would be the Chevelle um, the interesting thing about that is that both of those cars can readily accommodate big block over 400 cubic inch engines yes. and ironically Chevrolet had had it through the, 420, the Corvette's 427 so when the Camaro launches uh, they do not put anything bigger than the 396 and there's a lot of demand for that um, but before we can kind of pick up that story where the floodgates open or where the needle is thread, rather, is uh, in Cannesburg, Pennsylvania in 1965. In late 1965, with all this going on, with Chevrolet pulling out of racing, stopping funds to, to teams and whatnot, you have Don Yanko of Yanko Chevrolet in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania, and he actually starts off with a Corvair. A lot of people are unaware of that, that that is the first instance of a Chevrolet vehicle modified through the Copo processing for performance application. Wow. Okay. Now, before people rush out to start looking on for a 427 equipped. <laughs> They're Corvair. not, <laughs> not going to find yeah. them because one of the other myths and misconceptions is that it was only for the 427. Now, to be fair, I mean, the last 20 years um, in the hobby has been dominated by the love and mystique of a L72 equipped 427 iron block, Yanko, Camaro, or Chevelle, or, you know, the all aluminum uh, ZL1 69 yeah. with, with Fred Gibb. So I certainly understand where that misconception comes from, but it all starts off with the Corvair with Don Yanko being an avid drag uh, excuse me road racer wanting to compete uh, at a higher level so he wants to design his own vehicle Um, so he reaches out to Chevrolet they honor his request he orders in um, Corvair's has them modified through the Copo dual master brake cylinder some other little suspension tweaks so that's really what opens the door for the Copo uh, performance modifications
0: okay and then how did you decide to sort through all this maze of paperwork as it were and and figure out, hey, I want to write a book and people are gonna read it?
2: I, I guess to add to Mark's question, and I wrote this down, how did you get the idea? I mean, how do you just get up one day and say, yeah, you know, I'm not sure. Well Yeah, I'm gonna write on like your guest said, you know, some paperwork.
1: <laughs> Well, uh, I don't want to leave guests hanging. I'll answer the question, then I'll I'll pick back up. Uh, We can maybe circle back to talk about how the 427 got equipped in the Camaros. But... In terms of the how, I mean, basically, um, I had started to kind of recognize that these cars uh, were a major player in the hobby. There's a lot of passion for them. There's a lot of enthusiasm for them. Um, like you guys, I attend the Muscle Car and Corvette Nationals. Um, fantastic show for seeing some of these best examples. Even my work at the Daily Herald, I started coming across more and more of these names. Yanko, harrell Gibb. You know, Mm -hmm. in wondering, you know, what's the story here? So, um, when I connected with CarTech Auto Books and Manuals, uh, who's uh, my publisher? uh, They already kind of had a rough treatment in the work, saying, "Hey, you know, there's demand for this," and and we got together, and just seemed like there was there was a a need for a book Mm -hmm. to clarify all of it because there's a lot. So, you had an interest
2: first, and then the book company said, "Hey, we're hearing more of this as well." It was was that by accident? Well, nothing's by accident, but was that? A big surprise to you because, you know, the chicken or the egg at that point, which one's kind of first? Uh, the farm.
1: <laughs> okay. <good. laughs> um, I mean, you know, CarTech. You know, they they do a good job of staying on top of the industry. They're looking at trends and they're identifying different things and, and kind of plugging people together. So basically, when I when I met with them initially and you know kind of showed them what I was capable of and kind of talked about this idea, they said, "Hey, you know, this would be a good fit." Okay. Um, so it was CarTech. Yeah. I mean, Cartech so. said
2: let's do this and you were the right guy and you were eager and a so. you, were, you were what I call a happy puppy with a pork chop. <laughs> you're wagging your tail, you're like, Yeah, I'll do the Inco book. That'd be great for me. Copo, sure.
0: Did you have uh, a special access to any uh documentation that a lot of people might not have seen
1: before during your research. And you said it took you about two and a half years, I believe. Yeah. So, I mean, I, all throughout the process, I was very privileged to get access to a lot of stuff that has, um, is either off the grid or, or is, is private. Um, and so I take that with, with great, um, honor that, you know, a lot of uh, enthusiasts would open up their doors and their collections. So a couple of the big ones that really make Copo stand out was I was able to connect with a, um, enthusiast in the Pennsylvania area that had had uh, such an incredible amount of Yanko paperwork and mostly photographs. So mm-hmm. we talked to earlier about the original owners and, and that, um, and he gave me unparalleled access to that. Um, and so that, that was really special because... Um, Again, we go back to the idea of benchmark, right? With something like a Yanko, when you have um, a lot of demand for people that want to have either a Yanko restored or even some of the tributes and replicas, it's always crucial to make sure that it's right, Um, especially if you're going to have it judged at a very high level. So the question becomes, how do you establish if it's right Mm. as a journalist, right? That's the question you have to ask. Um, And so with a lot of the first-hand accounts being harder and harder to get, I was able to get access to a couple people that were there that shed incredible level of detail into the day-to-day operation. But I will say this particular collector, uh, world-renowned in the hobby, to have access to his material, um, and a lot of it was photographs that Don Yanko and then his marketing manager was a lady named Donna Mae Mims which a lot of enthusiasts are probably aware of but very vivacious she was a racer as well and the duo were very creative in coming up with all kinds of ad campaigns and different promotional material and so this collector had a lot of those outtakes and photographs and so a lot of that made it into the book and that to me is so neat because now especially like something like the 68 Yanko which there is some confusion in the hobby about in terms of a lot of people are not aware of the differences between a sixty-eight and a sixty-nine, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you have those photographs, that more than likely either Don or Donna May snapped themselves because they didn't have an ad agency, right? So now you have those photographs, and you can say confidently, "Hey, the badge is is located exactly, here, or yeah. it would not have this thing here." Um, and and it, like I said, it does matter when you're judging at the highest level.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't uh, something like a Yanko today? There's probably more of them out there than were ever made originally. <laughs> <laughs> like the super birds yes, and they, all the
1: other, they multiply like the sixty nine Z twenty. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, it's getting harder and harder to navigate those waters yeah. as as you know, it's easier and easier to counterfeit either paperwork or and you know, and, and especially also as we are, like I mentioned earlier, as we are losing that firsthand connection sure. to the the faces and people that were there that can you know confidently say, hey, this is the car that you know even original owners or people that work there and say, yeah, we we received ten dust blue whatever, um, it is getting harder and there's more of a of a need to have these kind of benchmark projects for future uh, generations to help document these car stories.
0: What kind of production numbers are we talking about here with these cars?
1: Well, so, I mean, so when you look over the spectrum of cars that were modified, again, through the central office for performance, um, you're looking at Corvairs in late 65, early 66, You've got uh, S- Yanko Camaros in 68. In 68, and, and, uh, you also have um, Novas that were modified uh, for Fred Gibb in La Harp, Illinois. In 69, you have Camaros and Chevelles, and then you also have the Z01 Camaros as well. In 70, you have the Camaro with a high-back spoiler. You have in 71 and 72, you have Vegas that were modified wow. as well. So um, all total, when you uh, putting all those numbers together... You're looking at certainly less than five thousand cars, wow. and and probably less than that as well. Wow! Um, Wasn't it like a hundred Corvairs? Yeah. something like fifty
2: Vegas or something. They like that? They actually
1: had a Copo Vega. Correct. That's crazy. In Seventy-one and seventy-two, and and that's wow. That's the other thing too. That's kind of exciting to bring to light because again, you know, a lot of people their definition of a Copo car stops at a sixty-nine. BMW. Exactly. So yeah. It's been so fun. Well, let, let's to, talk about the Nova so. for a second.
2: Sure. So sure. with the Nova, I mean, I think there's like. Ten of them left because those things almost evaporated if they lived in the Midwest. In about ten minutes, just from the just from being in the in the summer, let alone the winter, would eat them apart. So, um, have you seen any of those? I mean, that's got to be like seeing a unicorn
0: well that's what i was going to ask you what was like the coolest car that you actually saw in person (laughs) during your writing of the book Uh, all right i'll
1: start with lou's question so when you when you talk nova there's there's kind of two novas that typically come up with the copo story so the ones that uh are documented are you have 50 novas that were made for the 1968 model year that all went to fred gibb chevrolet so they all came equipped with the 396 to a turbo for uh 400 hydromatic automatic transmission um and so that was specifically designed for an automatic drag racing class that that uh fred gibb and also had some help with dick harrell wanted to dominate the other so i was able to so there were 50 made were um, those the deuce coops or something no, or? no so not yet so okay all right. um <laughs> <laughs> that was the Beach Boys song, I yeah. think. Lou, uh, I'm Deuce. gonna back off the microphone and just let Matt talk. <laughs> da, 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 da. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't, I'm not familiar with the Copo Duce Coupe, <laughs> but uh, but uh, no. So those were actually those were kind of would slip under the radar. They did not have any markings on them, Lou. Um, typically the ones that would be more easily identifiable would be ones that had been modified by Dick Harrell. So Dick Harrell, well-known drag racer during the time, Mr. Chevrolet, he was one of the ones that soldiered on even without support from Chevrolet. Um, he had his hand with a lot of these big players. He worked at Nikki for a while. He worked with Yanko for a while. Um, he had his own cars for a while that he was trying to, to build and distribute through dealer network. So he and Fred Gibb modified some of the cars. I should say rather that Fred Gibb ordered of the 50 were sent to Dick's shop and some of them did get 427 conversions. Those would be more identifiable to an enthusiast because Dick did have he didn't have the branding flair that Yanko did, but he did have a plaque that would go on the hood as well as inside on the center console that said uh, modified by Dick or by Harold Performance um, or something like that. Um, so those are the 50 again, I mean if you're at a car show, they're very plain Jane. They have the steel wheels with the dog dish hubcaps. More than likely if you didn't know it was a copo, you would probably never know. Hmm. Just because it, it does have the 396 under hood and it's paired to an automatic transmission, you think, what's the big deal? But up until that point, Chevrolet had never paired a big block to an automatic transmission. Hmm. This was their first foray into that. So the other Nova that you brought up is the 1970 Deuce, which I did forget. I failed to mention when I rattled off the cars earlier. Uh, in 1970, Yanko does order the 350 Genchi uh, quit Nova. But what he does is he plays a little game Uh, Because it was offered, uh, he it was offered with the 350, but if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was the L48 uh, that was rated at like 210 horsepower, something like that. Um, He swaps it for the 350 LT1 from the Corvette. And so when the insurance agents would look it over, that's all they saw. (laughs) So it was a neat little, and those are, those are way more identifiable. They have the very kind of iconic um, hockey stripe that runs uh, along the side and flips over into the decklet and it Mm -hmm. says deuce. And those are very cool. The other um, Nova that comes into the conversation is in 69, Yanko really wanted the trifecta of his uh, supercar offering. So he wanted to get the L72 Camaro, he wanted the L72 Chevelle, he got that. There's no indication that he got an L72 427 equipped Nova from the factory. So hmm. some of those cars are out there. I did profile one of the most well-known, one of the most well-known ones. Um, but there's no indication to show that that was processed through the Copo. That would have been done. That short block conversion would have been done at the Cannonsburg dealership, similar to how he was doing it in 68 and 67. So it's a little bit of a wrinkle there because a lot of people, like um, even at some of the auctions I've been to, with Meekum and some of the shows, I do see, you know, it's very cool to have a 427 Yanko uh, 1969 Nova. It's just one of those things, and, and sometimes I do see it called out incorrectly, you know, Yanko Copo Tributor or whatever. And I will say it's very different from how he got the L72 69 Camaro. Uh, and, and we're talking with the 427 equipped Novas from Yanko, probably less than 15, probably less than 10, that were actually converted to 427 Power. And one thing I don't want to delve too far into this, but
0: you were just saying that there are some some of the cars that he would actually be doing the swaps at the dealer. So would that be a true Copo car then? Because yep. even though it wasn't ordered that way, though, from the, it okay. wasn't delivered that way, I should say, from the factory.
1: Yep, great question. So what I, one of my favorite one of my favorite Copo cars is the '68 Yanko Camaro, and the reason is is that I call it a hybrid, um, and what I mean by that is so in 67 like we talked about a little bit earlier when the camaro debuts chevrolet is not going to put a a 427 in it um and it's clear if you look at all the if you look at all the period magazines newspaper articles it was not lost on enthusiasts that that was something chevrolet should have done Um, i would say that there was pent-up demand for a 427 equipped camaro so that's why you see in 67 this explosion of a dealer modified camaro i mean you see nikki chevrolet in chicago you see dana out in west on the West Coast, you have Baldwin Motion that get together. Um, I mean, you have Berger Chevrolet. That there's this big demand for 427 um, equipped Camaro. So a lot of these dealers and and hot rod shops too. Don't get me wrong. What they do is they start mining that uh, that enthusiast uh, the, the enthusiast pockets mm-hmm. to get them to or, to order. Hey, you know, if you want a hot Camaro, order 396. We'll order in the short oh, block okay. conversion. Mm-hmm. We'll do the work. Yeah. Um, so that is rampant in '67. Yanko also participates in that. So, what happens in 68? It's kind of funny how Yanko keeps kind of ratcheting up his, uh, <laughs> you know, he keeps going further out on the ice with Chevrolet yeah. because in 68, I think he finally gets the idea. He realizes, hey, yeah, my text can do the work, um, but it's costing me time and energy, and I'm having to pay the labor to have my text do this. I end up with leftover parts. There's got to be a better way. So, what he does in 68 is, He orders, uh, you know, roughly maybe 60 to 70 396-equipped Camaros that come into his Cannonsburg dealership. But he does get Chevrolet to offer what's called the uh, Copa. And then typically the Copa would be assigned an arbitrary four-digit number. So it's a 9737, like the Yanko sports car conversion, 68, which at that point was like, I think, a bigger sway bar and a couple other uh, suspension tweaks. Still with the 396. So, And then when they would come in, Yanko would then have his technicians do the short block conversion so in that instance they still are considered copos because you can see the paperwork sure. that shows hey this was modified at some level with the copo a car like a nikki camaro for example would not be a copo a dana would not be a copo they were 427 equipped camaros but the copo implies chevrolet did the work did the work whether it be installing a 427 mm. or putting a bigger sway bar yeah.
0: And somehow you're able to figure all this out when you wrote your book. Cause it's, <laughs> it gets really... Uh, uh,
1: yeah, I mean,
2: once you kind of get into it... <laughs> this is that three in the morning yeah. <laughs> stuff. What about the Vega? Okay, so the Vega... Yeah, I want to know what a Copo yeah. Vega is all okay, about. sure. <laughs> is so, this 72 73 what is it what is it what so is this? the
1: the the copo vegas would be model year 71 and 72
2: 71 72.
1: okay so the story arc is basically the kind of the high water mark for the big rumbling big bad street bruisers copo you know monsters would be 69 right because you have not only do you have yanko with his l72 equipped um, Camaros and Chevelles, but you have Fred Gibb ordering his '69 fire-breathing all-aluminum 427 uh, Z01. So, in 1970, there starts to become a distinct shift towards smaller, more economical cars. Uh, a lot's going on in society with that, and so that's why Yanko even moves to the, the Deuce. He moves the, the Nova we talked about earlier with the LT1 350 um, engine. He starts moving away from those big, full, you know, those big cars with the big engines, realizing hey, the market's going that way. So it's kind of funny to see even Don's innovation. And that he's very reflexive you know he's able to respond in a matter of a couple months mm-hmm. so he moves from big block big Camaros and chevelles to smaller to the nova to the you know 350 engine and then he's even looking out for the next couple of years thinking what's even hotter and you see that big influx of volkswagen you see toyota starting to come onto the scene and he goes i need to go even smaller sure kind of you know the advent of the import tuner yeah and so what's what had just come out the vega And so there's tremendous data and records that show that uh, turbocharging was becoming a very hot thing. Um, It had already been used in some race cars and I think some boating applications up to that point. You know, a lot of diesel technology was using turbos at the time. Yanko was like, hey, why don't I, you know, get a little hot Vega turbocharged? But I'm going to do I'm going to have Chevrolet do the work. Chevrolet. Uh, after going through the records, they were going to offer a turbocharged Vega hmm. from the factory. They, apart from the Copo, apart yeah. from, they were going to offer it as an RPO. Wow! Um, I think what they found is that they moved away from it. They had just rolled out that all-aluminum engine, mm-hmm. uh, which was very new technology. Yeah. They weren't too sure how it would hold up, so they were going to postpone it. Yanko thought it'd be a great idea for the tuner crowd. He probably was not wrong. Um, so he wanted he started a dialogue with Chevrolet saying, "Hey, can we get that? You know, uh, turbo- I know you guys aren't going to do it, but can you send me some?" that I can sell through my network to my enthusiasts. And so originally Chevrolet said, eh, okay, we'll, we'll try it. Yeah. And then they rescinded. Um, but they still, uh, from talking with Yanko, they said, you know what, Don, what we'll do is they offered, um, Iron, iron sleeves mm-hmm. to, because they said we know what you're going to do Don yeah. why don't you put on the turbocharger <laughs> but we'll help you out and so I mean I'm paraphrasing of yeah. course but if you look over the dialogue that's basically how it came about was they said we know what you're going to do with this we don't want to do it ourselves but to kind of facilitate that process so he orders uh, 400 271 and 272 um, that come in and they're hot little cars I mean uh. they've got great branding on them um, one of the things I love about Don is his innovation he had a degree in marketing and I think it really Showed um, Just some of the imagery for the Stinger, both the Corvair. And then it's funny, too, how he even kind of bookends it with he started with the Corvair Stinger and he ends the Copo, I should say, his work with the Copo cars with the Vega Stinger. And similar imagery, a little Angry Hornet, mm-hmm. but just
0: fun little cars. Um, I've never so. heard of a, of a Copo or Yanko Vega, and I've never seen one. So this is yeah. news to me. It's wild. Uh, I mean, the thing that is, is that they're probably the most. We, um, do, we
2: do have one on the car channel, My <laughs> <Yeah>. Car Story <laughs> <Yeah>. with <laughs> yeah. Lou. We'll
0: see there. I should have <laughs> the YouTube. You know, channel my car
2: started yeah. The, yeah so let's talk about that so the vega i've heard there's only about 10 of them
0: yeah there's got to be like next to nothing where, where left hear that? yeah i
2: heard it from the guy who was on the channel oh,
1: here's the guy that wrote the book so well,
2: no no i'm saying still around yeah is there more
1: no i mean uh i would agree with that number okay. just from my research so like when you talked about you know copo unicorns as it were it's kind of hard because obviously they're all rare by definition, but obviously within that there's nuance. And I would say that seeing a Yanko Vega stinger, That have been modified as a through the Copo paperwork is probably one of the rarest. Um, Yeah, the records and numbers that I've had access to indicate there's less than ten. There's less than five that are presentable, um, Mm. and I was privileged to see three of those. Wow. Um, One of them has a V8 conversion. Yeah. That was one of the things too. Is that? And and I should also clarify too that the cars that I featured in my book, um, I was able to see and interact with over forty of the world's best Copo cars, spanning all of the um, models. We talked about those those ten models or so. Um, so I will say for me, it was all about getting the best examples of how they would have appeared either from the factory or from the showroom. In the case of factory being like the Z01 that were delivered to Fred Gibb and they were sold as is, or like with Yanko or um, some of the, you know, cars like that, how they would have appeared. So to me, accuracy was of extreme importance. Sure. So something like the Vega, where, like I said, I know there's, a, there's an example with a V8 conversion, which is very popular, but that's obviously was done subsequently from the not, yeah. that's not how it would have yeah. appeared in the showroom. We have to take a quick break. Car Guys Report. We'll be right back.
0: This is
2: Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Man with Rick and Dave.
1: Jews kicked out of prison for arguing. My mother is not a stripper. Fried chicken that tastes like women's feet. My brush with Lorne Green. And our interview with Robert Lorzell, Chicagoan and Chicago Minutia guy.
2: All that and unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Man.
0: Tony Lasano Podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Radiomisfits.com
2: Big news, there's another fine OPI show coming to the radio misfits podcast network details are coming soon to opi
0: podcasting from chicago an OPI production for the Radio
1: Misfits Podcast Network.
0: This is Lasano and friends. Hey, I'm Tony Lasano. Hi, I'm Chris Swig. I'm Kimmy Spoon. Hi, I'm Sam.
1: I'm Evie Olson. Hey, Michael Garay, back here.
0: And
2: we have an exciting show this week. What do we have on this week? Too much Star Wars.
0: Too much Disney. Not enough Star Wars.
1: <laughs> Chris comes back from not here. Find out where. And gets pooped on. Sam goes to Train Land. Tommy talks about pooping on Chris. <laughs> <laughs> that and more on the next. Los Angeles, friends.
2: An Opie show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, where great talk radio isn't dead, it's just moved to a better place. I'm sick of Marvel. I'm sick of Star Wars. I'm sick of it. That's the whole
0: promos. I'm done. <laughs> I'm out of here.
2: I can't talk about it anymore. Radio Misfits.
0: Dot .com. And we're back. Does Copo still exist as a as a program? I mean, did it kind of like fade away during the energy crisis of the 70s and or was it always just kind of under the radar then and how did it get resurrected,
1: so to speak, or do, what can you get as a Copo today? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so Copo is still around today, although now it's more of a celebration um, of a legacy that Chevrolet loves. Isn't to, it like 50 Camaros that are only
2: VIN numbers? They're all not street legal. They're just full-out drag cars, in, right?
1: And aren't they just like oh,
0: wait, wait, white? Wait. They're like almost like bodies? And, yeah. A little more than bodies and yeah. white because they're complete cars They're yeah, full-blown
1: dragster. Yeah. So to circle back to your drag question, car. Mark, so Copo fades out um, after Vega. I mean, I, you know, I was searching this week online, and I see, you know, there's a couple. Copa was for anything special, you know, or anything out of the ordinary. So, like, the other thing, too, so, I mean, in terms of it kind of fizzles out is probably the best way to sum it up from a performance yeah. standpoint. Um, you know, you have all the all the oil embargo of the 70s, a lot of, um, you know, just tumultuous times during that time, so performance really faded away from being in vogue. Um, and it wasn't really necessary. It had served a purpose, and basically Chevrolet moved away from it. Um, it's also important to note in terms of even during and the high water mark period of copo that um, during that time you could still get a Camaro as a Copo but it would typically be applied for like something like a paint swap mm-hmm. um, and so that's typically where over the last couple of years I get, I get that so much where people say oh I have a Copo Camaro okay cool what year just to make sure they're even in the right ballpark yeah. they don't say like 84 or something <laughs> you know but when they say oh a 69 and then I always say is an L72 and they say oh no why would it be you know it's a Verdero green oh, okay, whatever yeah. and, and that's fine and I'm not taking away from that but I'm just saying um, Copo kind of that's why I think there's a lot of confusion out there because you do. See it often and because of the because of the performance legacy now there there is a celebration of it even if it's something just cosmetic like a, a you know putting a Pontiac color on a Chevrolet which they would do all mm-hmm. through the sixties that's probably more typical of how Copa would have been used or how Chevrolet would have preferred it to be used rather was for something more mundane sure. not mm-hmm. performance that's more back door. Um, How did Copo come back the last 10 years at the SEMA show? um, Chevrolet brought out a drag strip, you know, oriented all-out Camaro. And, um, yeah, I I believe, I think they're doing uh, 69 each year since I I think 10 or 11 was the first year they did it. Uh, But basically body and weight cars that are track prepped and and meant to do one thing, and that's go down a quarter mile and go fast. And so so they've really brought it back as a celebration of what it's about. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the other thing, too, about the cars from the 60s is that, there's no branding from a copo standpoint and so that's the thing too that i think a, a lot of enthusiasts it's kind of like a hunt is that you want to find one because you won't see any kind of medallion that says copo or this car was built through the central yeah, office yeah none of that exists you will see the yanko crest mm-hmm. or the dick harold shield or or what what have you but from a copo standpoint it, it's all in the paperwork yeah. so that's why it really matters to document those cars so the cars now i mean they they i guess you could call them badging i know on the on the, on top of the center stack. I've been out to the uh, where they build the Copo Camaros, and, and I've seen them. And you guys probably seen the car shows too, and you've probably featured them. Loop. I got a matchbox of a modern uh,
0: Copo, yeah. at, at home. Yeah, yeah. and or I a, think a Hot Wheels, not a matchbox, but
1: yeah. So they and they have some branding now, yeah. you know, big chunky letter C O P O. But yeah. obviously, in the same vein as the Demon, which has come out since then, um, it's similar to that, where it's basically a celebration of a performance legacy. Sure. There's sure. there's no backdoorness to it anymore.
0: But speaking of the performance legacies uh, of all the dealers that we've talked about i know that that some sort of uh, uh continuation of nikki still exists here in the chicago area um yanko and all. Uh, did any of those other places carry on or are they still in business in, in some way shape or form performing uh upgrades
1: yeah, so Nikki is uh, still in in the Chicago area. Yeah. That's where they built their their legacy. That's where they started. Um, and so yeah, I'm good friends with uh, with the owner of Nikki, Stefano Bimbi, who uh, very passionate enthusiast was actually helped out on the project a good deal. Um, talking documenting the the Nikki story. So. Um, I know they've been around, I think, for the last 10 years yeah. building high-performance Camaros and other cars out of their facility. Their cars are, are very cool. and Their I- cars are
0: awesome. I got behind one a couple months ago, uh, on, actually on the way to the studio here, and it was a, a late-model... Um, uh, Nikki Camaro and I don't know all that it had, but it was obviously lowered. It sounded awesome. It was just, and it was, you know, it was,
1: it was very cool.
0: Yeah. And, um, and I know I love their, their logo, the backwards N or the backwards K, K. or what? Yeah. The K. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's totally cool. Yeah. And, um, so there's, they're still around and pumping out high performance Camaros and, and other cars, um, in terms of who else is out there, Yanko, um, they are around, um, they're now being built out of a New Jersey facility okay. as well. Um, but they've been around the last, uh, handful of years um, I know they kind of made a big splash putting out a 1,000-horsepower Camaro. I had the chance um, in the last couple of weeks to photograph two of them um, in the Chicago suburbs here. And, and just absolute monsters. You, you hear them start up and they rumble. And so it's kind of neat because it's funny, too. Like, we talked earlier about the future of the hobby. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny about how many enthusiasts get misty-eyed as if, like, all this stuff has shut down completely. <laughs> and it's, like, not not in the least yeah. because... We're not even, I mean, we're talking aftermarket suppliers effectively, you know. But, like, when you even scale back to look at what the dealership is are offering, I mean, again, you have the Demon, you have these Copo Camaros that can be ordered through a dealership. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of them have them on display. Um, so, Yankos are still out there. They're identifiable. And, and uh, they, they've kind of uh, reinterpreted some of the striping and stuff brought up to the modern age. So, they're still around. Um, Baldwin Motion, i know they were another big player during the time um i know nothing i mean i i, I know in the last couple of years i think they they did a, one or two, you know a SEMA car here and there yeah. and um no continuation cars that i'm aware of uh dick harrow i know his legacy still lives on as a as a racer um and i've been able to connect with some of the people that were in his life and learn more about his life and uh but from a branding standpoint on the cars and, and that's kind of a shame just because of, of Dick's importance to the to the Camaro story. I mean, he he campaigned them all through the 60s and um, there's some rumors that he was even tied into the Z one program wow. and, and, and 69 helped him get that car off the ground. Fred Gibb, the other you know, another big name um, you know, his family continues to he's since passed, you know, but his family I'm, I'm friends with Nancy Gibb, one of his daughters and you know, we enjoy chatting and, and sharing memories and uh, so his legacy lives on through that, but the dealership uh, is out in La Harp, Illinois, and uh, you know, I know it's, I think it's a tire shop, and uh, so the building's still there, but um, you know, and then um, the other neat thing about Yanko is that I would encourage um, to the Cannonsburg facility, where, where Yanko built these Mm -hmm. high-performance cars is still there yeah Um, i went down several times for research and and um, for photography it's now a motorcycle shop um and and the the two gentlemen that run it were very kind to let me in i got to see inside and but the building is still standing cool it's definitely worth going to yeah that's
0: awesome and i would think that uh anyone who would be interested in wanting to get a, a a true yanko or or uh, Nikki from the back in the day, I would think that your book is a great place to start as far as just getting a handle on all the, you know, facts and figures and, and what's real, what isn't real, or things like that. Are there any other resources? Um, do those places have websites now too? Or, or what would be other places that someone who's interested in something like that to, to start their research with?
1: Um, you know some of the um, some of the top tier shows, uh, Muscle Car and Curve at Nationals is a great one, um, just because it really provides the opportunity to see the best examples. So, I mean, in terms of seeing them up close, you know, obviously get to some of your shows more and more. Uh, uh, they're appearing at some of the high level shows just because their story is being told, and and so they are getting out there. So, I will say it's not it's it's uncommon but not rare that enthusiasts across the nation might see one. Mm-hmm. You know, because these these cars are very valuable, and uh, you know you won't find them at your local cruise night per se. But I've seen cars
0: <laughs> pull into the, you know, Joe blows car show with Yanko on the rear fender. And I know it's not a real, Yanko. Right. but I mean
1: to see, to see the high level, you know, top tier stuff, um, you know, I'm just saying, but they are, they are becoming more and more, um, prevalent at, yeah. at shows. So I will say, it, it, you know, I, I wouldn't paint a grim picture and tell re- listeners you'll never see one. Cause that's not true. They are being out there. So I would mm-hmm. encourage, um, readers, you know, get a better handle of what the cars are, what they aren't. Um, you know, I, I see it a lot at car shows and cruise nights. People love the legacy of sure. these dealers and of these personalities. And they I think want it's to awesome. Yeah. You know, I was, um, and so it's just one of those things that I, I you know, and I, to me, it doesn't offend me, you know, as a journalist having, you know, document the story. I love talking to the people because the passion is real, you know, and very often they're very coach to say, oh, you know, the car was sold, but I just, I love the story of Yanko. So I want to put the stripes on my six cylinder mm-hmm. Nova. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're not trying to fool anyone. And, and so to me, it's like, that's a great way to keep that legacy. Live um, is through that, um, and so uh, so I would say you know get out, talk to the people you know, and try to find out you know you know I'd encourage you know listeners get a copy of the book, read through it; it'll give you a good handle, like you said, on kind of what is and what isn't, so that when you get do to go to a car show, you can identify um, and kind of filter out. Okay, hey, that's obviously some kind of tribute or re- recreation. Hey, that looks that has the right marks. I might want to find out more about that. And um,
0: just so uh, listeners know the exact title of your book and where you can get it is it available
1: on Amazon? So the book title is Copo and then if you if you're online you can just search for Copo Matt Avery book um, you'll readily find it on Amazon Barnes Noble it's available through uh, CarTech as well as, it's also available at Um that those books come from me so if, if listeners uh, purchase it through CopoTheBook.com, I do autograph it before cool. it's mailed out if that's a value
0: and then you're going to actually have to get your autograph pen um, recharged because you've got another book in the world too tell us about that
1: I do so really exciting follow-up project um, no rest for the weary I hit the ground running um, about a month after um, completing the, the Copo book is uh, telling the story of all generation high performance Camaros uh, throughout all all generations, wow. so so much more robust project, um, <laughs> a lot more cars to cover, um, and just really excited to bring one of the things I love doing is thoroughly researching a project and bringing to light the most comprehensive journalistic body of work on that subject matter. So similar to how Copo is, uh, you know, kind of represents that that that's the most complete body of work on those cars there's some really exciting stuff in the new project that will be the most comprehensive most well documented um some of the sections of cars i'll share with you um the 1967 gory's black panther um a lot of enthusiasts as i go out and about doesn't never rings a bell and uh, but really exciting car that was built in Canada Um, so that's one of the Camaros that um, will be the most comprehensive body of work coming to light uh, in the new book the other one is the story of GMMG so during the early 2000s um, GMMG and Berger Chevrolet uh, played a big role in keeping the Camaro at the forefront of performance and enthusiast minds and it was through a high performance shop down in Marietta Georgia called GMMG so um, that's the story of the Berger Camaro that they offered in the early 2000s. You have the Dick Harrell car, so really neat cars. Uh, it's been fun to research and interact with some of the best examples, and um, I'll be doing all the photography again as well. That's something that I wanted to do with Copa was to provide the not only the best example of research but also visuals cool so all of the photography is brand new in copo and should be in Camaro.
0: when do you think you're going to be wrapping that uh book up
1: uh so in the next year it okay. should be completed uh, i'm glad
0: that you're taking your time because i you know i that's one thing that i've always fantasized about is i always think there's a book inside of me i'm not sure what or when but i read i, I read a lot of books and I think that I'm amazed at um, how long a book can take to write. I mean, it can take, like you're doing years. It could take three years, five years, eight years because, you know, you know the person is doing their research and making sure that their information is accurate and correct and informative. And I think it's great. I'm glad you're just not cranking these things out in six months. You know, take your time and do it right. And I love books like that because I, I love... automotive reference books like that. I mean, I I don't know if you'd be exactly looking at it as a reference book, but I just like that kind of uh, book in my automotive library to to, to reference when I need it because it's just invaluable, even just from the picture standpoint. Like, you know, one thing that I think you, you touched on earlier is the fact that if you have pictures of what it was like exactly from the factory or whatever with those tuners you know exactly what it was like and you're seeing a picture of it so you can compare and say look no this isn't right you know this is trim is different or whatever it's just an invaluable resource favorites you're in the copo
2: when you walked into somebody's garage or garage mahal and you say uh, we don't say favorite we'll say we'll give you the top three so you don't have to put anybody above
1: anybody else top three copos top three copos um Right off the bat, '68 uh, Yanko Camaro, owned by George and Carol Edwards, original owner. So is, that, on, is that green? It is green, and I think you featured also it. featured. Yeah, I'll
2: well, see. Uh, he's trying to upstage yeah.
1: you here. Yeah, so featured okay, little, on my car story. Uh, versus, versus Matt on, on, on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, no, but I mean, fantastic couple. I mean, you you obviously interacted with them, but George and Carol were just sweethearts, and yeah. and just the amount. Again, I go back to the amount of memories and the amount of he's got tons of great pictures of the car at the drag strip. So, to me, that's 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 a fantastic Copo example. Uh, another one that really did you know out. that
2: they got married. I'd that car i
1: did right, and right, okay. uh carol shared with me i didn't get this in the book but she they when they got married they parked the car i believe either behind the church or down the street uh because they were worried about people messing with it and if memory serves me right i still think someone stuck a piece of cheese in the hood vent um, <laughs> i'll have to double check my notes but i want to say that i think one of the groomsmen slipped out and ah. uh put a little prank on them and i think it, it took a while for that to clear out so but a lot of great memories that car uh just recently was restored. I think the last couple years by Supercar Workshop fantastic example of how it would have been and they know it because you've got the original owner story and you've got tons of great documentation so definitely that cart number two uh, Eddie's uh, Z01 Dust Blue what year? Uh, 69. 69. Uh, great story. He bought it as a uh, teenager in 70, I want to say 73, 74, I think around that time. The story is is that uh, he resides in California, came across an ad. He and his brother were out on the back porch kicking stones, just saying, what should we do? His brother said, hey, there's an ad here for you know, hopped-up Camaro. Let's go buy it. It was in New York. <sighs> that Within, I think, like a day or two, they had loaded up the family Jeep pickup truck and drove cross-country with an open trailer. Wow. Bought a Z01 from downtown New York City and trailered it back again. A lot of great memories. That car was profiled in the book. Um, if only,
0: right? You know, and uh, yeah,
1: I forget what he paid. I mean, I you know, I think he he paid a lot for you know back the time, then. Yeah, but you know, I think it was under ten grand. And, wow. and here you go. And just really passionate enthusiasts. Um, you know, I had a great photo shoot with him um, and just a lot of neat neat memories there. Um, and then number three uh a uh blue vega that we talked about um nice kind of a father-son team um and what's really 71 neat, 72 uh if memory serves me i think it's a 72 but okay. don't quote me on that. we're not gonna pin you to <laughs> this uh but really neat story and um, white
2: white stripes blue car or black stripes? Uh, black stripes. Black stripes. Black stripes. Okay. Say. Yeah, I'll, I'm a sucker for the blue cars. Okay. Blue <laughs> we car, had a '72
0: Vega, but it was yeah. a camback wagon. So yeah. yeah, but I don't think they ever did any of those as
1: a they Yanko. Did. did. they really they did. a they back? did. Wow. They did the camback, and actually that's, that's one of the incredible. And that's one of the three examples that's still out there. Wow. the a green one. Yeah, ours is green. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe it's that one, Whoa. Mark. Man. Um, <laughs> dad, you were yeah, so cool exactly. after all. Yeah. But typically, uh, the ones that Yanko would do would be the, uh, the hatchback. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, wow. But the the blue one's pretty neat. Like I said, uh, when I went out for the photo shoot, a father-son team, and come to find out, the uh, enthusiast dad who showed up brought his Yanko Deuce that he bought new that I didn't wow. know about. And just come to, you know, just all those happy coincidences. <laughs> You're like, yeah. oh, I'm here to see That's this car but so was, cool, wow, that was pretty neat too. So, well, while we're here, yeah. While we're here <laughs> yeah, yeah, so uh, all right, let's go to the Camaro favorite Camaros. Um, you know, the one that's Top ju- three. jumping out at me, um, is that 2002 Dick Harrell Camaro, um, partly just because I've come off of photographing two of the best examples out there. Um, one of them was is uh, owned and was purchased new by a uh, contemporary of Dick Harrell, a uh, drag racer who raced with Dick, um, had a lot of good memories. And uh, the thing that makes those cars so unique is that, um, you know, you kind of think of that generation Camaro and they're just becoming unique and they're kind of um, being uh, they're they're aging well I think mm-hmm. in my opinion that generation they're, they're
2: curvy they're nice
1: they're curvy and I think more and more like the SLP cars too as people you know and I had the chance to photograph one of the 35th anniversary uh, the red cars with the checkered stripes just I think they are aging well and they'll become the next hot collectible but the Dick Carroll in particular is so unique uh, uh, 30 were made in 2002 wow. um, and the cars themselves when under massive transformation um, basically what happened was Chevrolet had built a single show car I believe it was for the SEMO that year or for another big event and it was a wide body hmm. and basically really? uh, GMMG and Berger got together and said hey let's offer this as a calling it a Dick Harrell as a tribute to to the famous drag racer so the cars themselves are very fascinating um, the front and rear panels are all replaced with a wide body kit to accommodate bigger tires they have monster big engine Underneath the hood. So I would say that those are, are very cool. And the other thing too that's fascinating is that they were um stickered for over six figures when they were new. Wow. wow. So a lot of people don't know that because you kind of think, oh, the days of the you know sixty nine zero one are over. It's like, no, that's definitely a modern supercar with just as much folklore and fanfare as any of the cars from the sixties. So that's one in particular. The other one too that I uh,
2: Mark will be going out after the show and picking up one of those <laughs> yeah. for an investment. Wait, wait till you see the studio, Matt, when you're <laughs> (laughs) done with your book and you come
1: back (laughs) i can't wait um the other one too that jumps out is uh i referenced earlier but the black panther camaro that's something i've never heard of that tell me about that Uh, Where did it begin? What year year does it start? So just 67. Just 67. So So it's
2: Canadian, though, right? It's Canadian. And the Canadians are so much fun, though. They love their cars. Well, they changed
0: the names of the cars, too. All the Pontiacs were Acadians instead of... Parisian. Yeah, Parisians and things like
1: that. That's okay. That's okay. No, it's cool. But the the Black Panther uh, checks... So many boxes for being fascinating and unique. And what I mean by that is that so, Gory Chevrolet, massive dealership in Toronto, downtown Toronto. So, in my opinion, they are one of the, if not the first, uh, dealer-modified Camaros with a robust marketing plan behind it. So, not to counter what we talked about earlier with Nikki and Dana and Yanko and Baldwin to a certain extent, but when you look over those cars, compared to what Gorey's had in mind for the Black Panther, basically, all of the cars were black. Either they came um, ordered in tuxedo black or they came... I I have come across a couple examples. One in particular stands out that it came in as Sierra Fawn and painted black. Hmm. It received a gold old header band similar to what the pace car would have got and then um, it received badging that said Black Panther, and it was all a marketing or initiative. Where was it? Where is the Black Panthers
2: on offenders or is it on a fenders, it on the tail? Uh, so you,
1: you would see it on the, uh, the uh, ahead of the front wheel in the factory position where uh, the SS would go. Okay, sure. Um, the the and header, it said Black Panther. It said Black Panther. Wow. Um, and it would have received five spoke uh, wheels, um, and then. But what's it, the fascinating thing about it is that Gory's. I've never even heard of this yeah. car. Mark, well, I'm curious. I know. Curious, I've, no, there, I've never known. <laughs> how how can this guy well, the car guys report we've never it's, heard it's of this car Canadian. who That's is this why. guy with us today <laughs> <laughs> uh, no I'm happy to bring Go it to light yeah, and no, to this share is the cool. story because it's neat uh, so, and the other reason why a lot of enthusiasts haven't heard of it is that because here in the states all we hear about are the big players right that we've talked about uh, the other thing too is low quantities um, my best guess probably less than 30, um, between 67, maybe early 68. So basically what Gorey's does is that, and again, it's so fun because when you look at the marketing, um, so
2: you've seen a, of vi- you've seen several, hmm.
1: one of them, you've seen one I've, I've been North of the border to see and experience hmm. several of them now and several uh, of them. Yeah. Was it, was it more of a cosmetic thing? It just, so just, it was, so yeah. the cars that are out there, um, so gory's touted basically it was it was all part of a big initiative gory's wanted to respond to the like we talked about the exploding performance marketplace so they rebrand I love this they rebrand part of their existing purse department as a performance center okay um, and I, I have that from first-hand accounts because I've seen advertising it says come check out Gory's new high performance center and I've talked to you know credible sources and I say hey what was this people that were there in the showroom and they say yeah they just kind of rebranded some of the, they started stocking high performance parts you know Um, And so basically it was that. And it was a sales initiative to get people in the door with the cosmetic changes, with the marketing imagery. People say, hey, what's a Black Panther? That sounds tough. I want one of those. Ooh, look at the black and the gold stripe. And then allow the salesman to say, hey, uh, would you like to add a a 427 conversion? Yeah. Yeah. to upsell them to take advantage of the dealers technicians so um, there's a common misconception that all of these cars or a lot of them would have got 427s um, mostly because one of the most notable um, stories was a a magazine uh, Canada Road and Track they featured a 427 equipped driven by one of the sales managers and more than likely a demonstrator or a marketing tool so that one did have a 427 but um, of the cars that I've seen and experienced most of them just had have their 327 yeah and I've heard from several original owners that they actually just they said we liked how it looked because they all had the gold interiors so wow. they were very striking cars if you guys ever see a picture of them they're black like I said they have a gold header band um, they have the you know they have the aftermarket wheels and then they have the gold interiors were the, so, were the rims gold then too no the rims were uh, 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 just I'm drawing a blank. Uh, silver, gray. They were silver five yeah. spoke. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but they, they looked tough. They, they're beautiful cars. Um, the other fun thing, too, through my research that I uncovered was to be able to celebrate the story of Graham Neal. And what's so fun about Graham is that um, he was the guy. So as you hear more and more about the Black Panther, you're going to hear about the 007 panel. What's the 007 panel? It was basically, in the center console, it was an insert. Lou's like, wow, I tell know, me more. I know. <laughs> and you're going to, like I I'm said, taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> take, take some notes. Uh, and so basically, what it was, is it was an insert that dropped in the center console and true to its name, it had eight to ten toggle switches with labels that said laser beams or ejector seat, and I'm not making this up. This is such yeah. my kind of <laughs> car, yeah. right off the and, bat. And, <laughs> like I said, I mean, basically, Graham has gone... Um, I mean, the cars, there's so little uh, about them, but what's out there is that Graham's name has been lost to the sands of time. Yeah. It's been neat to... Uh, he, he's passed away, but be able to connect with some of his close friends and said, no, it was Graham that came up with that. He was actually... That, that was guy. just for fun? I mean, they're, they're just, It was just for fun, and... Uh, I mean, this, as the story goes from from the sources that I've talked to that have confirmed, you know, how it went down, yeah. is that Graham was not an employee of Gorey's. He was actually an insurance uh, agent that drove their Nova. They, they sponsored some drag racing, and so they had a Nova called Granddaddy Gorey's, and he was their driver and a very enthusiastic young man that loved racing, and apparently he would hang around the dealership, and as one of his close friends said, he had the gift of gab. And so, apparently, wow. while the managers of Gorey's were cooking up this Black Panther program he somehow said hey why don't we do a 007 panel Um, again from from what I've been told he never missed seeing one of the movies on opening day he's Uh a big 007 fan they bought it and they installed it, and it turned out to be ahead with uh, customers. And so it was a $29 option. None of it was functioning. The other kind of fun thing about it is that it was covered by a translucent panel so that you could see through. Yeah, that's And great. I'm sure it was a conversation. <laughs> and uh, like I said, I, I you know, uh, every reason to believe that it was something that. Do you, have you offered? ever
2: seen a 007 panel? I have. I have. Wow. Um, yep. Do I, you have a picture of this? I do. I'll show you. No, no, no. We don't have to all go to YouTube right away. But Put it on the transmission.com. <laughs> yeah. Is this on the transmission.com? Uh, not yet, but. Uh, After this <laughs> but segment, what, it'll maybe. be on there. But yeah. so uh, Is it in
1: a, Is it in any of your books? It'll uh, be in the Camaro uh, book. It'll be in the Camaro book. And Ooh, then uh, because, of the, uh, because of the body of work and being one of the kind of leading journalists on the subject matter. I was asked by Mecham to write a feature for uh, Mecham. One is coming to an upcoming Mecham auction. Cool. All so, right. right. So, Lou, I expect to see you, Mark. I uh, want you guys yeah. in the front row bidding yeah. now that you know <laughs> the full be great. story. Wow. Well, Matt, I
0: wanted to say there's one Camaro,
1: very rare Camaro that well, I don't well,
0: think... wait, wait. He had two, right?
1: No, he but, had three. He wait, did all Black, three. Black
2: Panther the um, Dick Harrell,
1: and I I didn't get to 3 but oh I thought you got to 3 no
2: 2 go ahead I'm I'm doing the math I'm I'm, uh, writing, I'm writing notes you know
1: if if I had to pick a third one uh, I would say I had the chance to see a uh, or to photograph a 68 Baldwin motion Camaro um, owned by a very passionate collector Mark Hassett okay um one of the one of the best examples I know he's gotten out and shown it at top tier events and uh, we had a great photo shoot um, his son uh, kind of got on it, and that photo made it into the ah. book. It was a nice big burnout. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's hard to resist a Camaro that has a weight screwed into the trunk. Uh, that's what that's one of the tricks that motion would do is that they would screw in bar, bar, barbell weights in the trunk, and it's got a switch to kill the taillights. I mean, it, it was a street wow. terror. And, you know, uh, just to see it in action, and I rode with him. Those, I mean, it, it, it's soul-stirring. So I would say and, and it's a beautiful blue with the white stripes. Um, and so that's, that's probably my third top Camaro pick. I was going to
0: say there, there's one rare Camaro that I know you're not going to have in your book. And it's the 1976 Camaro that my dad bought, brand new. And it's probably one of one uh, for the year. I remember it was $3,500. And this car was 100% base model. We did not have a single option on that car. So this is a 1976. It had the old, uh, was the derivative of the Stovebolt 6, the 250 cubic inch cast iron block straight 6 with a, I believe it was only a single barrel carburetor, three speed on the floor, dog dish hubcaps blackwall tires, and there was the tire strike going on at the time, too, so it actually came with bias plies instead of radials because of the tire strike, and he ordered that car because my mom wanted it in firethorn red metallic with a white interior, and like I said, there was no, no radio, nothing, I mean, just total stock, total base, 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 and it, it had to be, like, I always say to everyone, that that had to be the only base model Camaro that was ordered in 1976, I mean. Where's that car today? <laughs> probably rusted out in a rusted junkyard like yeah it was that. rusting out when we got rid of it but it was just i mean i drove that car a little bit in high school and it you know it didn't have much in the way of performance but it was just just Blew me away that it was like no options on that car, yeah. and it was a custom order though because they wanted the paint and the interior
1: combination. So, yeah. <laughs> it's just a funny little thing. Well, and I should say I should quantify. There's a lot of Camaros out there, and there's a lot of great ones. My book is uh, focusing on ones that you would consider like special edition. Oh, of course, sure. Yeah. Um, that would be so just for readers, just so that because I, I get I'm already getting an influx of people saying, "Hey, my car." Um, so I'm trying to limit it to special editions of subsequent, subsequent quantity that would be readily available either through a dealer or through some kind of, some kind of network, um, you know, so, uh, but yeah, a lot of great Camaros out there for sure. Cool. Well, certainly looking forward? Do you have a working title for the book yet or? Um, at the moment, just Camaro Special Edition. Okay. And uh, CarTech and I will dial that in as it gets closer to being on sale.
0: Awesome. If you uh, like what we're doing here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, make sure that you uh, listen, subscribe, and rate us when you are listening to us. You can uh, get us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. All you have to do is search for Radio Misfits. You can also search directly for the Car Guys Report. And when you're uh, listening to us, uh, you can subscribe because then you'll get an automatic notification on when there's new content available. And also, if you could take a moment to rate us, too. We'd love to get uh, some more five-star ratings like we have on Apple Podcasts right now. Certainly would appreciate you taking the time to do that because you're here for a reason, because you like cars, and we're certainly glad to uh, have you along, and the best part of podcasting is it's totally free. Everything you get on Radio Misfits is free, and it's uh, listening at your convenience. You can uh, fast forward, rewind, skip, replay, and listen to us on your device, your laptop, your phone, whatever you have at any time you want to do it. So that's the best part about uh, the uh, podcasting uh, universe, and that's what we're doing here on the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Luke Hostable, and our special special guest, Matt Avery. Uh, one last thing we wanted to uh, talk about briefly with you, Matt, is just uh you know, just an overview, classics in general, maybe your favorite car, any projects you have upcoming. And I'm just curious, too, I don't even know what you drive. I mean, I think you pulled up in a VW or something, but I know you've got to have something in the garage at home. It's that's a, cool. It's a
1: Copo VW. Yeah. In yeah. The <laughs> yeah.
2: Central order production. With well, a lot over the O, right? Yeah. C- central order production. Uh, you know, it, uh,
1: you're not mistaken, I did pull up in a Volkswagen, and every car has a story, and that one does. Um, my dad was a Volkswagen enthusiast, Um I've got some great family pictures of him in Hawaii. He was stationed at the, uh, he was Navy, Naval officer there, and he drove a Volkswagen bus. Hmm. And uh, so I've got some great pictures of him down on the shore with the loaded up with uh, surfboards and, and whatnot. So I kind of come from Volkswagen background. We had a
0: 74 VW bus. We had a couple of Beetles, and my favorite Volkswagen as a kid was, I think it was a 61 or 62 Carmen Ghia. Very cool cars.
1: Yeah, and uh, so I kind of I, I, he he let the bus go long you know long before I had any memories of it. But um, it my mom and him also drove a Type Three Squareback early oh, cool. on in their in uh, yeah. their marriage, and um, so I've seen pictures and I've heard stories. And I will say that that's kind of I'm a wagon guy yeah. in general. Uh, I love a good station wagon and uh, so one of the memories that stands out to me about the Type 3 is uh, again some great family pictures showing my parents Type 3 with my uncle who's probably in his in the picture early 20s standing next to it and so I will say when my wife and I were car shopping just this year we kind of thought what would be I will say we liked the wagon in general we liked what the Volkswagen had but it did have that family connection and that really was one of the strongest selling points I've always liked
0: Euro wagons though anyway I'm kind of a wagon guy I don't have any but I've always admired them i mean saab you know i have my 96 they made a 95 which was a funky wagon and even had a third row rear facing seat in it which is pretty cool for a small car like that but i've always thought the euro wagons are neat and uh bmw has made some beautiful wagons in the last uh, 20 years uh obviously the mercedes uh uh, e-class wagon is amazing and just a lot of other really neat stuff so I, i can totally see where you're coming from with that uh, Performance-wise, do you have anything uh, that's fun? Or? Uh,
1: not, not at present, but okay. some stuff is in the works. I'm hoping to get something, a new project in, <laughs> you know, if, if I could only find some time to... Well, exactly, you know, yeah. So, when are you going to well, find
0: time to actually drive your cars and enjoy them and, yeah. and take them to a car show? Um, do you have any feelings on... Um, I know that we, we touched on this briefly, cars that might be starting to get hot in the market or things that are cooling off, because I I know in a recent episode, Lou and I, we had a segment on cars that were cooling off in the market, and most of them were a lot of, like, uh, 60s, 70s luxury cars, which I think are great buys right now. One of them was the Lincoln Mark III, which is a great car and a fantastic car, but it's losing a little bit of interest right now. But what do you think might be hot and
1: upcoming or cooling off or whatever? Your just quick thoughts on that. I had the chance um, earlier this year at one of the Mecham auctions to talk to a father-son team out. Texas that had brought, I believe it was eight Ford SVT Lightnings. Wow. Um, and so, like just chatting with them and seeing their seeking out the best examples of those and stuff. Um, to me, and they all did very well. Um, so I could see that that I think that slice of performance trucks. Mm-hmm. They also right next to them, they had brought out several several examples of Chevys SS 454 trucks. Oh yeah, that came mm-hmm. out I think a couple years yeah. before that. Um, and it's funny because I've started to, uh, to notice a trend of seeing more of those come to auction. So I think some of that early 2000s. It's not crazy to see that. The other one, too, that I see more and more are the Fox body. Most oh, yeah, I know Fox bodies are, are uh, coming up. Yeah. yeah, the the SVT and then a little bit later the Cobra R's in particular. Mm. Those are going to become real hot. I mean, you know, we're really moving past the cars of the 80s. I yeah. mean, you know, it's one of those things, you know, I think it's kind of like everyone kept saying, oh, we got to get ready for the cars of the 80s. It's like they already came and they're already people love them and now we're moving on to what's mm-hmm. next. So, I mean, like the Buick, you know, G, uh, GSX and GNX is, you know, I'm saying like those are already well established in the hobby. The next wave will be the early 2000s, some of Ford's modular motor stuff. Um, I think also more and more I'm seeing some of the uh, the BMW, um, some of their early M stuff mm-hmm. is becoming more oh, yeah, high. Oh, sure. yeah, sure. You know, it's always had a core demand, but I think more and more as BMW and Mercedes also developed their AMG and M program even more, people are becoming more aware of the heritage that it's not just something new. Um, so those are certainly going to become you know more and more popular. Um, going back to the trucks, I mean, even non-performance trucks, I see more and more of. Just you know because you know the old adage, you know because they were meant for work, they weren't preserved. So yeah. when you see a bone stock '78 you know whatever oh yeah that's hot it's rare even with a six cylinder you know it's like to see one that's not all banged up so so those are always hot Um,
0: even like a lot of the early suvs too like the the blazers and the ram chargers again if you get them in 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 good condition they're rare because people didn't hang on to them and obviously like the the jeep uh uh, the fancy ones, the Grand Cherokees, are have always been strong, but but you're seeing the Blazers and and the Broncos, and they're going to you know have a new Bronco coming out, so I think that'll help the older Broncos. I mean, the old Broncos from the '60s are always hot, but then the we're talking about the '70s and early '80s Broncos. I think those probably be heating up a little bit as well.
1: Well, and even newer than that too, Mark, is that um, I've done several stories that have resonated very well with readers on the Typhoon. Um, yeah. And the Cyclone. Yeah. Uh, Both of those, you know, companion vehicles, they are very hot with, you know, younger generations because...
0: And at a recent uh, Supercar Saturday, I don't know if you were there or not, because I didn't see you, there was four Typhoons parked next to each other. So, I mean, that's amazing. I guess there are not that many of them around.
1: No, I mean, and, and just, you know, unique vehicles that resonate and yeah. speak to an audience. And yeah. I think it's great. You know, I, I had a chance to interview the owner of one and just to hear their passion and, and how they love it and, and how it hauls their family as well as being something unique and has the sure. kid and yeah. The performance. Yeah, um,
0: I know Lou likes the Little Red, was it the Little Red Express? Yeah. That, that's that's the one that we've talked about as being kind of like the Seven, first muscle truck yeah, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah,
2: you put 360 in it, I believe, yeah. and, yeah, and that, that was with, with the with the uh, reindeer horns going off the uh, pickup bed. That was pretty cool.
1: And then what was the uh, was it the warrior or the, the uh, warlock? The, 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 the warlock, warlock was yeah. the black one. Yeah. 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 No, those I see those out a lot for sure. I'm saying I think those are hot. Like you said, that probably touched off that performance It did. Drop. It, it kind of did, uh, yeah. The other one, too, that I love is, and I've had the chance to interact is the uh, Viper-powered, uh, the oh, Ram. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe it was at the well, – back then it wasn't known as just Ram. It was the Dodge Ram RT. Is that what they call it? RT, Something like that. yeah. Or yeah. RT-10. Yeah, yeah, the RT-10. But, yeah. you know, very cool truck. That is and, neat, yeah. You know, it's got the Viper wheels on it and it's got the Viper V10 underneath Remember, it. Remember, Lou's got a Viper, so you're <laughs> –
0: <laughs> getting pretty close to home there. <laughs> any, um, and and obviously, I mean, you've got your your fingers in so many pies. It's great. Um, any projects that you have far enough off, like after your uh, Camaro book comes out that you're willing to talk about at all or just um, things that you maybe just jesculating inside your head that you might want to
1: <laughs> sure i mean yeah i mean you know i've, I've been planning uh Kartik and i have actually been talking about what's next ahead after even the, the current project you know as as you alluded to earlier you kind of have to budget out <laughs> yeah you have to you know some people might think that sounds way down the pipe but you got to kind of budget out for mm-hmm. these big projects so uh we've talked about what's next i mean one of the things that would be near and dear to my heart would be is to do a full length um you know high gloss book on celebrating original owners oh wow um you know and in, in really taking the time to get into those stories mm-hmm. um one of the fun things about copo is that i actually i i have several features within the book that we do that i, I there are several that were included that are just original owner stories um, and so i i had room i wanted to do more obviously we only have so much so many pages to work with and it, not necessarily limited exclusively to copo i think that'd be a great slice to look at but i'm um, starting to put together some projects for that of of how else can i as my role as a communicator as a journalist bring to light and celebrate some of these stories that are unfortunately just fading away and passing Mm -hmm. away so quickly. Yeah. Great. That's good.
0: Lou, do you have uh, anything to talk about as far as my car story? Do you want to quiz Matt on uh, the top three? The top three. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm going
2: to tweak it a little bit, only because we've got Matt here today. Usually we would go through Matt where I would pick three it's cars. It's going to be all
1: copos. Spe- <laughs> I'm okay with that.
2: Specifically generated of the amount of views on my channel, so it's not an overall, but, but I'm going to switch that. We're not going to do that today. So we'll keep it on the theme. So um, what happens if people go to YouTube and they punch in My Car Story with Lou? What else should they punch in? The 68 Yanko, if they put that in, they'll see George and Carol's story. You talked about the green Camaro. Uh, that's a good one. There's also a, a 72 Yanko uh, Vega that's on there, which is uh, interesting, unique. And the funny story about that is the guy says, Well, I had a Chevelle, and I had a Nova, and I couldn't find the Vega. So he, <laughs> so that was because... That was when I go to the car show, like we talked about the muscle car in Corvette National, which is where both of these cars were featured. So and I'm walking through the thing, two things have to happen. Number one, the owner has to be near it. You know, usually open up a trunk or open up and polishing something. And I get the chance to know that that's the owner because just not everybody's going to be walking up taking it. But the second thing is it has to have either the wow factor, which is what George and Carol's car had. It was a green 427 you know beautiful example of a camaro so that was the wow factor and the vega was more the what the what factor where you go what well, what is you know your black panther camaro would be in the what 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 is that tag on the front <laughs> there's supposed to be an rs up there so those are the things so that's what the vega and then lastly i'll mention what is coming up on the channel speaking of what's coming up on the channel is uh after uh, coming home from a from actually a different event i happened to notice a whole bunch of corvairs at the pheasant run and i specifically ran in there to do a yanko stinger to see if they had one and they had two so we got that to you know the start up and sound off and uh, that one i think came out of nebraska so stay tuned to my car story with Lou on YouTube and that Yanko Stinger will be up in the next couple of months so
0: cool, that'll be fun looking forward to that coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report we'll have another fun automotive list to discuss and also the cool story of an around the world Austin that is uh, coming up on the uh, next episode of the Car Guys Report we've been talking uh, today with uh, Matt Avery uh, journalist, author multimedia producer and just all around great car guy Uh, Matt just wanted to thank you once again for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to have, which uh, w- w- was a just a great conversation with Lou and I here today. I certainly appreciate. Uh having you in the studio, and I uh, hope to uh, do it uh, again sometime down the line as well.
1: Absolutely. I look forward to
0: it. Great. Thanks, Matt. Uh, We'd also like to uh, say special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo spelled backwards, O-P-P-I-H shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. That's radiomisfits.com. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions.
1: Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions.
2: Tony, can you shut up?
1: Direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Now at the
0: Museum of Broadcast Communications. From Bandstand to Gaga. Let's rock on
1: TV. For info and tickets, Visit tv.
2: This week's Free Kicks with Adam and Rick, we talk about uh, something that happened in a game. I was watching a Premier League game, Adam, and I heard an announcer say, looks like he's just eaten a chip butty. Don't you mean a French fry sandwich? <laughs> French fry sandwich. Well, that's just one of the discussions. We like to talk about what's happening in the English Premier League. And along the way, Adam also tells us the strange customs of the english all that on this week's free kicks with adam and rick hey guys this week on Ann friends we sell out to big tobacco that's right and we talk about bigfoot being stolen in florida again again and i have a special sex story in our sex box that's for tommy just for me. Just for you. All this and more on And Friends. Woo. An Opie show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, where great
1: talk radio isn't dead, it's just moved to a better place. It's RadioMisfits.com.